This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full intent, full attention. Uh, now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the door by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told his dreams, but them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief cup and the chief baker. We had a dream. On the same night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related to them, to him, them, to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one, he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Go down to verse 25. Pharaoh repeats the dream. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God had told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them, and the seven years and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as Pharaoh, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will bring it about, quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them all, let, let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities 
under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let food become the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. So you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and he proclaimed there to them, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one, no one shall rise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonaphaneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth from over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in abundance, great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now, before the year of famine came two sons who were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the land, all the earth. It's the reading of God's word. May God add a blessing to it. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now. And after this uh, long portion in Joseph's life, uh, we pray that you would give to us discernment and wisdom, just as you have given to our brother Joseph. Lord, help us to, to see and to understand, to believe, Lord, and to act upon all that you have promised and all that you have provided for your children. Be with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I do greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you again on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. And once again, we come to one of the longest chapters 
in the narrative of Joseph's life. We also come to, in some respects, one of the more familiar moments in the life of Joseph as well. It is the account of the two dreams of Pharaoh and Joseph's being elevated to prime minister, that is, second in command, the most powerful to the most powerful nation in all of the world, the nation of Egypt. And this promotion takes place because God used Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And in the interpretation and acting upon this interpretation, the whole world, as it were, is saved. And what a whirlwind of a day this must have been for Joseph. One day, suddenly, Potiphar, who was the captain of the bodyguard, appears to Joseph in the dungeon and presumably says, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. And these words would change the whole of Joseph's life. And in a sense, they would change the whole of human history. This was the moment that God was preparing Joseph for, for this moment. It is interesting in the narrative that God has determined over a period of 14 years that he would develop Joseph for this moment. 14 years. From the 17th year of Joseph's life to the 30th year of Joseph's life, Joseph was being readied for that moment. A moment that would propel him, launch him into the next 14 years of his life as he would oversee the prosperity and famine in Egypt. And the very symmetry of this, the very structure of this, the fact that one is the, the very double of the other is the real underscoring for us uh, of the real use and meaning of the message that is Joseph's life and the message that God is attempting to communicate to us through Joseph's life. And I think that it is what we are to observe this morning that we must, each time we are confronted with God's Word, we must ask ourselves and ultimately ask God, what are you intending to teach me when we come to His Word? But not what are you intending to teach me about myself. What does God mean to teach us about Himself? That's the primary question we should ask. God, what do you want to teach me? Not about me first. About you first. John Calvin said in book one of his institutes, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. Calvin goes on to say, For in the first place, no man can survey himself without forthwith turning his thoughts toward the God in whom he lives and moves. You can't know who you are 
unless you know who God is. How often I wonder were the thoughts of Joseph turned toward God in this mixture of faith in him and confusion in what he's doing. In Joseph, I believe, and in most of us, I would say, if we are honest with ourselves, there lies this this mixture of, I believe you, God, but I don't understand what you are doing. Here was a man whose faith was firmly established in God, but whose faith was tested and tried over and over again by the God of his faith. How many times in the private prayers of Joseph did he ask, What are you meaning to teach me about you, God? What do you want me to know about you? That is an appropriate prayer. It's one that we must ask God to train us to pray, to teach us to say, God, what what must I learn about you? But not just in times of despair. At all times, in times of prosperity, and in times of famine, in times of absolute clarity, And praise God for those moments. I know exactly what I'm doing. And in times that are most common, I have no idea what I'm doing. Lord, what are you trying to teach me about you? This morning, with God's help, we shall seek to consider the answer to that question in three points. The first point this morning... A simple one, two more years. Two more years. Uh, and it really is connected to the last chapter in the first verse of the, of the chapter that we're in this morning. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 23 and Genesis 41 and 40, uh, 41, 1. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Coincidence? Not in the least. At the end of the 40th chapter, Joseph appears to to plead with the cupbearer. You remember, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you after the interpretation. And please do a kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh, and he says, and get me out of this house. It was a plea of a man who appears to be at the end of himself. It was the plea of a man who appears to be at his wit's end. His faith has been tested. It has been stretched to its limits. And he rightly believes That these men, the baker and the cup bearer, that they have been providentially placed there by God. He rightly interprets the providence of God. This is no accident. These men with their dreams on the same night. This is God's doing. And in interpreting 
that this is no incidental nor accidental occurrence, he therefore begins to believe that God is setting him up to be released. Released from his affliction. And that's what Joseph calls it. When he names his children, he says, I'm naming you Manasseh because God has comforted me in my affliction. He has been afflicted. Dear ones, Joseph interprets everything about this situation accurately. But there is one thing that he has failed to interpret accurately. And it is God's timing. He seems to have a sense of what God is doing. But he does not have the slightest idea of when God will do it. God has given dreams to Joseph. But he has no idea when they will come true. And we can easily read past this first verse in chapter 41 without realizing that it is meant for our instruction. But the first words are two years later. I've never been to jail. And I've never been to prison. But through prison ministry, I know something of the faces of those who are waiting for a report back from their lawyers on appeals to their cases. I know something of the faces of prisoners who are waiting for a response to find out whether or not they will qualify for parole. I know something of the faces of those inmates who are waiting for a letter back from their family members. And every single time there's a mail call, And every single time there is an officer who opens the door, they are looking back to that door. They are looking to that mailman with hope and anticipation. Maybe today is the day. And how many times have they said, I've been waiting for days, but it's felt like years. And here is Joseph, and I can imagine sitting in the dungeon going about his business Going about the work of being a servant in the dungeon. And each time the prison doors open, he looks back with hopeful anticipation. Maybe today is the day that I'm released. And his name is not called. The door slams once again in his face. And he is there. Enduring it. Holding on waiting for the day that he would finally be released from his affliction. And the days would turn to weeks, and the weeks would turn to months, and Joseph would once again learn something about God. And it was this, that God works in His own way, at His own time, And at his own pace. And how frustrating is that for us? We who, if we had uh, the position of sitting on the throne, would do things a lot more quicker, wouldn't we? We would already be sanctified if it were in our power. We would already be glorified 
if it were all in our power, but there is something that we are being taught about God through our process of being sanctified. There is something that we are being taught about who He is, and therefore, in turn, who we are. One of the common sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry was in reference to timing. My time has not yet come. It is not my hour. And at His betrayal, the time is at hand. The Lord Jesus had a perfect sense of what Joseph lacked. An appropriate and accurate understanding of the timing of God because He knew God perfectly. And Joseph's cry was much like that of the 13th Psalm in which the psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Do you know that prayer? This is too much, too long. I feel as though I am on the brink of my last breath. I wonder how many of you know that prayer. How many of you know that cry? And here would be the answer for Joseph to his question of how long? Two more years. But the answer didn't come for two more years. Brothers and sisters, The answer did not come when Joseph asked it. The answer came when God determined that he would answer it. Two more years. Two more years. Joseph's master, if you will, Potiphar, will open out the door and call out, Joseph, King Pharaoh is asking for your help. Imagine... If God had said to Joseph, when Joseph asked, how long, that God would have, if God had said, Joseph, two more years. Hang in there for two more years. Joseph could have endured it. Imagine this. Each morning we are praying for different people that whom we love, that we pray that God would bring to the faith. Imagine if God said to you, Doreen, for your sons, one more year. In one more year's time. It will happen as you've been praying. Would you have any worries whatsoever? Uh, When you saw them and they were acting in ways that were unchristlike or in ways that did not show evidence that God was at work, you would not worry about it. God said in a year, He promised me. I have God's word that in one year. So no matter what they said, no matter what they did, You would have no worries, no fears, because God has already given to you His Word. But God has done no such thing with Joseph. There is only a promise of Joseph that has been given to him through a dream. I will raise you up. 
When, God? When will this take place? How long, O Lord, will you allow me to be in this place of absolute ignorance? If Joseph had been given full picture behind the veil of God's perfect wisdom, he would have seen the perfect plans of God. He would have seen the time frame in which they would have been fulfilled. And he could have endured it with ease. But there is no release date for Joseph. Those prisoners who I mentioned earlier, they often would say, but I'm okay, I'm short-timing. I've got a year and then I'm out of here. They already have their plans of what they're going to do. Joseph had no such time frame. No such plan of what came next. The only thing that Joseph had was an uncompromising, unwavering hold onto the garment of Almighty God. I will not let you go. I don't know how long I need to be hoping and holding but I know this, I won't let go. Why? Because you won't let me go. God doesn't give us time frames, does He? God purposely withholds information from us so that He might develop an understanding in us of who He is. And so that he might strengthen our faith in him. He withholds information and simply calls us to trust that his plans and purposes are perfect. And sometimes we confuse a lack of information with a lack of love. If you love me, you would tell me. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how long I will be here. I feel like I'm in the DMV. It's a long line of people before me. And I feel like my number is never going to be called. But praise be to God. God has not left His people wandering aimlessly, without promises, and without purpose. The end of the psalm, the 13th psalm that I've just quoted, is... Again, the echo of all believers, how long? But the end must also be the echo of all believers. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. He begins with how long, O Lord, and ends, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. You've been so good to me. I will trust in you. You've been better to me than I have ever deserved. I will not start doubting you now. He has not withheld His love from us. Isaiah 55, 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and the furnishing seed and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, So will my word which goes forth from my mouth it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire 
and without succeeding in the manner for which I have sent it. If he has said it, hold on to it, it will come to pass. And he has not left us without promises. He's not left us without direction. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You're not walking in darkness. You have his ever sure, his ever faithful, his ever true word. And there's a lamp for you. For every step that you take will be guided by God. If you remain in Him and He remain in you. Dear brothers and sisters, while we may desperately ask the question, When, O Lord? We must rest in the wonderful knowledge that we are being instructed by God in the process. Even when it happens to be Instruction in what appears to be silence. We are being instructed to know that God is sovereign. That's all you can say when you don't know what else to do. I know that God is in control. God has ordered the beginning and the end. God knows what will happen because He has ordered it. Here's another thing that we can trust and know about God and that His plans are perfect. That what God has determined is according to His wise and glorious wisdom and will. We know this about God, that He is never late and that He is never early. And He's an on-time God. We know that He does things not for your glory, but for His glory and for your good. How many times have you said to your children when they were enduring discipline? Or how many times has it been said to you? You may not like this, but it's for your good. It's for your own good. And dear ones, He loves us. He really, really loves us. I don't know when was the last time you just thought about this fact. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's simple, isn't it? But how profound that the God of all creation loves you. Now, if you are in the hands of that one, the one who possesses all of these perfections, are you not in good hands? Better than Allstate. If you are in the hands of the one who possesses all of these perfections, will you not rest in His perfect timing? If you are in the hands of the one who possesses all of these perfections, do not let your confidence in Him be shaken. He loves you. Secondly, a troubled king and a prepared servant. Now it happened, verse 1, at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. After being informed that Joseph has been 
in the dungeon for more than two years or more, or for two years, we are told that Pharaoh has a dream. A dream that has caused him to be utterly shaken. And the scriptures say that his spirit was troubled. He has had a dream of seven healthy cows coming to the river, which cows normally do, did. Uh, cows were highly revered as gods in Egypt. And they have come to the river Nile, which was also a god in Egypt. The cows were a symbol of the false goddess Isis. And they were a symbol of the earth and the harvest. They have come and they have grazed by the river Nile which was their main source of prosperity. Then suddenly, seven ugly, gaunt, or skinny cows arise, and they swallow up the healthy cows. Pharaoh will later say that they swallow up the healthy cows, and there is no evidence that these skinny cows have eaten anything, for they remain gaunt and skinny. Pharaoh awakes. He's shaken. He's perplexed, but then eventually he goes back to sleep and he enters the same dream all over again. And you know those dreams, you know, the ones that are awaking you at night and that, that cause you to be afraid of going back to sleep, lest you re-enter that same dream. Well, Pharaoh has re-entered that same dream and there arises in his dream a stalk of corn. And it's an interesting stalk of corn. It's healthy. But from one single stalk is growing seven healthy stalks of corn. Outstanding. Unusual. But then there blows a scorching, and we in Bakersfield know what a scorching wind feels like. A scorching wind from the east blows over that stalk of corn. And it causes a new stock to arise. It's, it's as if the healthy stock is here, but underneath one, or underneath the healthy, rises a thin, withered, dead, if you will, stock with seven ears. And they are thin. And they are without any kind of resource. Pharaoh awakes, he's troubled. And so he sends for all of the magicians and all of the wise men of Egypt but no one can give to him the meaning of his dreams. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe it's because we're on this side of the scriptures, but the dreams don't seem too hard to interpret. They seem rather simple. Healthy. Gaunt. Healthy. Gaunt. Seven. Seven. It seems that God has blinded the minds of these men. That all along, God's plan and His purpose was to show that these magicians, uh, these divinators, do not have the Word of God. That only God has God's Word. That false teachers do not possess God's word. That liars and cheats do not possess God's word. 
that palm readers cannot tell you who God is or what God is doing. That horoscopes are a fool's errand and they are only for the fool. But that God alone gives the interpretation and the meaning of what He has said and what He will do. Pharaoh is at a loss. He has no idea what to do. Here is the man who is considered to be a God. At a loss at what the true and only God will do. And then all of a sudden, something clicks in the memory of the person who was closest to him. The one who holds his cup says, oh, Forgive me, Pharaoh. There was a time when I offended you greatly. And when I did, I was placed in a prison. And when I was there, I met someone who interpreted a dream that me and the baker had at one point. And his dream, or his interpretation of the dream, happened just as he said it would. Verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved him himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. What is so fascinating about this statement is that all of this transpires in this chapter. All that you read in this chapter, 41st chapter, most likely took place in one single day. Some theologians have said that this possibly took place within a matter of hours. Joseph is informed. Pharaoh wants to see you. He must be cleaned up and shaved because you have to be presentable before standing before the king. He's dressed appropriately to stand before the king. He's brought into the king's court. He hears the dream, interprets the dream, and then is promoted to prime minister of all of Egypt. What a whirlwind of a day. And all of this, most likely again, took place in a day or maybe in a matter of hours or one theologian suggests in one hour. It's that urgent. Pharaoh wants to see you now. Why is this even worth our consideration? This is one of the longest chapters in the narrative of Joseph's life. And combined within this chapter is the very notion that God works quickly and that God works slowly. Or, as we've just considered in our previous point, that God works slowly. And then God works quickly. The chapter began with what? Joseph being in prison two more years. But do you know that 12 years succeeded the two years? This affliction that Joseph has been experiencing has gone on for 14 years. It's been 14 years since he has been removed from his father's household. 14 long, slow, how long, O oh Lord, years. And then all of a sudden he's alerted. Get up, you must stand before the king. Out of the dungeon. And by evening, dining in the palace. And all of this is to prompt the question, it may prompt the question, well then, does God work slowly or does God work quickly? And the answer to that is obviously, profoundly, 
Yes. God works slowly. And God works quickly. He works slowly, but He may work quickly. And oftentimes, He is able to work quickly because He has first worked slowly. There's a, a saying that I have for my son that I was taught in my days of martial arts. It's, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. God has developed something in Joseph that has taken place over a period of years. And now he's ready. He's been slowly prepared for this moment. But then when it happens, it happens immediately. And we might say the general lesson that we learn in God's providence is that God does not randomly give us life experiences. But that each and every one of our life experiences under His sovereign grace is preparation for special moments which may be significant the most significant things He ever means us to do in this entire world. Think back to your lives. Things that you would have said, I would have never thought I would be here. But as I look back on all of the paths that God has taken me, I can see how that turn was purposeful for this turn. And how this turn was purposeful for that one. And how each and every one of them, though they were perplexing when I was turning, though I was checking my GPS and it said, keep going, don't reroute. And I wanted to reroute. God was saying, I'm taking you exactly where I would have you to be. And you look back and say, now it makes sense. All of that, all of the turns for here. There's something that was being developed in Joseph. Joseph has changed over time. And it's evidence, or evidenced in the first words that he says to Pharaoh when he stands before him. Do you know what the first words that Joseph said to Pharaoh were? We don't really know what the protocol was when someone was to stand before the Pharaoh besides shave, because Egyptians believed in being clean-shaven. We don't know what kind of dress he wore. We don't even know what he was supposed to say as being the first words to Pharaoh. But here's what we know. The Bible first records as the first words of Joseph to Pharaoh. And here they are. Not in me, but God. The very first words uttered from the mouth of Joseph to the king of Egypt, the most powerful king in all of the world, not in me, but God. Here is the one who uh, believed or was believed to be a God. Being told that you are not a God. But God is God. And God is the only one who can bring an end to your confusion. Not in me, 
In the Hebrew, they are actually just one word. For us, it's two words. In the Hebrew, it's one word, not in me. And theologians say that Joseph's one word is a protest against the king. What does the king say? The king has brought Joseph into his courts and said, I hear that you are able to interpret dreams, that you have the power to give their meaning. And Joseph's first words were, not in me, but God. Here is Joseph before the most powerful king, and he does not shrink back, and he does not compromise. Imagine... Standing before media, being asked uh, by media members about your faith. Being asked by media members about some of the, the hottest and most debated political topics of the day. What is your stance on homosexuality? What do you believe about this organization called Black Lives Matter? Are you for it? What do you believe about the husband's role in the family? Is he to lead? And why? What do you believe about Muslims and every other religion other than Christianity? What will be their fate? What would you say? I pray that you would not shrink back. I pray that you would be bold as Joseph, that you would stand firm on the truthfulness of God's word, that you would say, God has said, God has declared, not in me, God has said. And Joseph does not shrink back. Joseph does not compromise. He deflects any kind of praise that might be pointed towards him and redirects and re uh, reflex all glory and praise to God. This is a far cry from the boy who came to his brothers 14 years ago and said, hey guys, guess what? I've had two dreams and you're all going to bow down to me. Over 14 years in a pit, 14 years in slavery, in service, and in a dungeon, God has taught this man, not in me, but God. He's no longer the self-centered boy that he once was, but he's now a God-centered man. And this has come through the striking rod and the comforting staff of God. Sometimes, as Stephen Charnock says, we often learn more of God under the rod that strikes us than under the staff that comforts us. Brothers and sisters, at times we may think the the rod of God, that is the discipline of God, is too severe. And even that the rod of God is inconsistent with what we know of God's love, His gentleness and His compassion. But that is because we do not appreciate how seriously God loves us. You hear that? What's the purpose of discipline? It's because God loves us. And sometimes when we are going through times of, afflic- of affliction, 
that are meant for our discipline. We often believe that God has somehow turned His love away from us. But nothing more could be further from the truth that God has actually showed how intensely He loves us when He disciplines us and how He is determined to make us holy. Holy and holy like Him. Even if that means our pain. Do not think for one moment that the rod of God and the staff of God are a contradiction. Not in the least. The rod and the staff are held by the same loving Heavenly Father. God has changed Joseph over time. He is recognized by Pharaoh as being a man who has discernment in verse 38. So much so that the king believes that Joseph has a divine spirit which enabled him to discern the dream and he has no knowledge that that divine spirit that he speaks of is the spirit of God that resides in every single believer. That's why Joseph is discerning. And again, he's a far cry from the young boy who lacked discernment when he told his brothers about his dream. Don't you, don't you, don't you praise God for the people who say to you, you've grown. You're different. You have matured so much. Our sister April, who's sick, said to me the other day, you said something eight years ago. And I was so mad at you when you said that. I said to her, I am so sorry for that statement. That was inappropriate. And she said, but you're not like that anymore. You change so much. You're so much more mature than you used to be. I said, tell that to my wife, please. Tell her. It's a blessing to hear someone say to you, you've grown up. You've matured. You're different. God did this. Don't forget to point them to where and how it has happened and to whom has done this. God has done this. Joseph was deeply insensitive in his younger age. But now he has discernment. And God has taught him what it means to walk in wisdom. Joseph says the doubling of the dream shows that God is determined to do this thing and do it quickly. It is fixed. God will perform it. It is like the, the Amen, Amen of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think, I think we should pay attention to this. That Pharaoh has been given two dreams. And God has said it will happen quickly. It's been doubled. But isn't there something that you have noticed about the life of Joseph? There seems to be a doubling in, in everything that Joseph does. Joseph has had two dreams. His brothers have had two different plans on how they are to deal with Joseph. And Joseph has experienced two ways of temptation. Joseph has experienced twice Two humiliations. 
Two times Joseph's cloak has been taken from him. He's been lied about. Twice he's experienced two years in the dungeon. There have been two men who have come to him and they both have had a dream each too. And now he is before Pharaoh who has two dreams. Joseph will experience two exaltations. And Joseph has two children. Everything in the life of Joseph seems to happen in a matter of twos. Well, what are we to learn from this doubling in the life of Joseph? I think if we were to take a step back, what we might learn through the twos and the doubling in the life of Joseph is it as though God's feet are marching through the whole of Joseph's life once and then twice. Once and then twice. So that the very atmosphere of this story, not just in words, but the very atmosphere of this story is to say that God's purpose is perfect. That God is guiding this young man And that he is carrying him through even the most difficult and dark days of his life. And that God's purposes and plans are fixed. They shall come to pass. This is one of the things that unbelievers abhor about God. That God is in control. That God is sovereign. That He is working out His purposes as year succeeds to year. Unbelievers hate this. But in contrast, it is balm for the soul of the believer in Christ. It is medicine for our minds and for our hearts. That God is not making mistakes. That God has not lost His place. That God has not deserted us or His promises. But all the way, His footsteps though planted in the sea, as one theologian said, are riding on the storm and he is working his purposes out. We have yet to sing the hymn, but it is called The Right Must Win by Frederick William Faber. And the seventh stanza or seventh verse is commonly known, but it is something like this. Thrice, which is three times, blessed is he to whom is given the instinct to tell that God is on the field when he is most invisible. And this is the wisdom of God. When God works slowly, he works surely. It is the God who works slowly and surely who was also the God who sometimes seems to work suddenly. And Joseph is no different and neither are you. When you were saved, you were suddenly saved. God suddenly brought you to faith. Praise be to God that He had prepared you all of that time 
for that moment. Third and finally, Joseph, the type of Christ. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. They're crying out to the wrong God. False God. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. Joseph was not only honoring God, discerning and humble, he's also courageous. He sets out a practical four-point plan. He advises the king to find a, a national organizer to deal with this emergency. You need local commissioners. He even calls Pharaoh to impose a tax. 20% on the annual harvest. You need to build strong storage facilities. He lays all of this out before the king. And if you can imagine the king's face, hearing Pharaoh's plan, taking a step back and saying, that makes a lot of sense. He proposes essentially a revolution in Egyptian politics. This Hebrew slave. But we must not underestimate the prophetic word of Joseph. Joseph is acting as a prophet, if you will. He's not just saying uh, what God will do. He is saying what God will do prophetically. This is the word of the Lord. And it was not just an interpretation that, that Joseph gave. It was also an accepting of the, the interpretation that also must be taken into account. Pharaoh had to believe this. Pharaoh needed a measure of faith to accept what Joseph was telling him. And that measure of faith was given to him by God. He has to believe. Listen, he has to believe there's going to be a famine when there is no famine in sight. He has to believe that there will be a famine seven years from now. Imagine if someone told you in 2000. 10. In 2020, there will be a virus called Corona, and it will shake the world. Most of us would have said, you're crazy. He has to believe that there will be this great catastrophe. And Joseph says what he says with great conviction, so that the words of Joseph are accepted by the king. And the king has made a decree. Joseph, there is no one greater in all of this land but you. You are the man for the job. He even says there is no one more wise than you. No one more discerning than you. The job that you are calling me to give is now given to you. He gives to Joseph his ring. He puts on him a gold necklace. He takes Joseph all around Egypt, riding in his second chariot to give credibility to Joseph. If Joseph is singing with the king, then people will see Joseph as being one whom they must obey. And the king calls out to the people, Bow the knee. Bow the knee, he cries out to the congregation, to the peoples, to the assemblies. Bow the knee. This is the bowing at least in partial fulfillment that Joseph saw in his dream. You remember that when his father said, what is this, son, that I and your mother are going to bow down to you? Jacob had the wrong person whom he thought was the son bowing down. 
God was not saying, you, Jacob, are going to bow down to your son. He said, the sun and the moon, the stars are bowing down. Pharaoh was considered to be the sun god of Egypt. And the moon would be his wife. And the stars would be all of those who were in responsibility or authority in Egypt. Who is bowing down to Joseph as he is riding through the land of Egypt? It is all of Egypt. It is just as the Lord God has said would be. There's a second dream that is yet to be fulfilled, but it's on its way. Joseph has been given a wife and a place of honor. Promoted from the dungeon to the palace. If you look up this sermon, you'll finally, you'll see from the pit to the palace, from the dungeon to the palace, all these pithy words or pithy titles. But it's absolutely true. He gets to work. He gets busy working over the next seven years. He stores up so much supply that he can't even keep track of it anymore. The Bible says it is as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Where have we heard that before? People are coming to Pharaoh for food. And the king is saying to them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he says for you to do. There is an abundance. There is plenty. And all of this is a partial fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, who was promised by God that I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all nations will be blessed through you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will make your name great. And Abraham's name, through his offspring Joseph, is being exalted. As the name of God is being exalted. Through Abraham's offspring, the nations are blessed. They are looking for food. And they are coming to Abraham's offspring who is giving to them all that they need. They are coming to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, save me! Pharaoh is saying, I can't. But he can. Go to him. And do whatever he tells you to do. Even this pagan king who was exalted as a false god and knows that there is only one who can save. Go to the servant of the one who can save. Brothers and sisters, it's only partial fulfillment because it has been completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were dead in our spiritual famine. Our souls were empty without life. But God raised up the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth which was a dungeon. This fallen sinful place which was a dungeon of the blessed member, second member of the Holy Trinity, God the Son. And He endured persecution. He endured temptation. He suffered betrayal. He suffered in our place. And God has exalted Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And now we say... As his blessed mother has said at the wedding of Cana, go to him and do whatever he tells you to do. Go to Christ 
and find bread so that your soul may be saved. Go to Christ and be delivered from the famine of sin and death. Go to Christ and be saved. And Christ has also been given a bride, hasn't He? It is the church. And we celebrate Him. And we give to Him all of the praise and the glory and the honor. Don't miss Christ in this chapter. Because Joseph is giving to us a glimpse of what our Christ is. Joseph was second. The Lord Jesus Christ is the blessed second member of the Trinity. There is so much here and so much more that we could say in this 41st chapter that is to draw our attention to Almighty God. Let's pray.